good morning, church. How are you today? Would you stand waving somebody? Make sure they're ready to worship their heavenly Father this morning. Isn't it good to be here?
Father, we worship you. We thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people, that where we are, you are in our midst, God. Have your way this morning.
Oh 
been faithful and I can sing of the goodness of God. Hallelujah. As we are driving to church today, I love to look at the sky. I love to look at clouds. And I was looking at the beautiful clouds today. It declares, you know, the Bible says the heavens declare the majesty of God, the greatness of God. And I was just looking at that and thinking, you know, how great God was, how grand he was, that he created all of this. The universe, everything he created. And then I thought he also 
created something very strong and very big, and that was he gave us, he gave mankind a very powerful thing called choice. No matter how great, great and grand God's universe is, we can't enjoy that universe. We can't enjoy that which God has provided unless our choice, which is a pretty great thing, we choose. The Bible says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And so he clues us in, choose life. But think of it. God can have provided for us or created something so grand for us that the creator, he made it from nothing. But mankind cannot enjoy that because of their choice. If we don't choose life, then we won't enjoy all that God has provided. We won't enjoy the grandness that God has provided. Every single one of us has a choice. Life or death, blessing or cursing. In the big, in the big things in life, in the, in the big decisions of life, but also in our everyday decisions of life. And when we make a choice or we make a decision in the flesh, we make a choice and we choose a way when we're, when we're offended, when we are angry. What would be some other ones? <laughs> Overly exuberant, yeah. Overly exuberant. And we make choices in life based on... Jim, you got to be a little bit better backup there than that. <laughs> anyway, we can make those choices so quickly like that. We're choosing death, and the result can be death that comes to, to our life, to our choice. What a great thing God has given to us. Our choice. We can choose. You know, I can't choose for you. I can't choose for anyone else in this world. Anyone that I love. I can't choose for them. But you know what brings me great peace? I can choose for me. I can choose for me. I can choose life. You can choose life. You can choose his way. Hallelujah. And then have everything that he has promised, everything that he has provided. Hallelujah. Choose life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, why don't you, before you're seated, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to several people around you? Give them a warm welcome and God bless you. And then after you've done that, you may be seated. And we want to dismiss the children at this time to their class. For those of you who are worshiping with us through Facebook or YouTube, welcome today. Praise the Lord. We're glad you're with us. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If this is your first time worshiping with us today, if you would just lift up your hand where you are real quickly. Uh, we'd like to acknowledge you. I don't actually think I see anybody that I would know to be. Oh, I'm so sorry. There she is. Welcome today. We're so glad that you're worshiping with us. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Someone else special that we have in the service today, although I don't think he is in here, 
as my daughter would call him, Little Levi. She calls him Little Levi. Her Melinda is, I think, I heard that they're here. Levi is the uh, baby that had open heart surgery. You remember that we prayed for a few weeks ago? He's doing just great. Yeah, in fact, I should have uh, given you a picture to, to put up there um, so you could see him. But anyway, maybe you'll see her, Melinda. Don't get too close, though, or breathe on him or anything like that. No. But, um, but anyway, he is here today with his mommy and I think daddy, too. I'm not sure if daddy's here. But anyway, we're glad that he's here. He's doing great. Praise the Lord. And we're just uh, rejoicing. He's just a smiley little happy Baby boy, amen. We want to uh, just let you know a few things that are coming up. Men, tomorrow night is monthly men's ministry meeting here at the church. And it begins at 6.30. The men always have a great time of fellowship and discussion and the word. So if you haven't joined them, please do. And uh, bring a friend with you as well. And then on Thursday, May the 19th. Oh, goodness, that's this week, isn't it? Yeah, well, I'm glad I reminded myself. Anyway, uh, we're going to be having a um, breakfast for young moms, and um, we've had a great response to this. We're going to, it's just kind of like um, they need a break. Uh, we're going to have a gourmet breakfast for them that some of the ladies from the church are going to cook, and there's one of the gals is even going to bring her cappuccino maker to serve them really good coffee that day. And then we also have free babysitting. So the only thing we ask you to do is to um, register for free babysitting office at foothillfamily.com. And um, it starts at 930. The next Sunday night, we're having our night of worship here in the sanctuary at 6 o'clock. Amen. We're looking forward to that. Always a great time in the presence of God. Um, they will be doing um, some things for the children that evening, so um, bring your children as well. If you don't want them in the service with you, Miss Lauren will have some things for the children that night. And then the, um, the last thing is, ladies, we have a Bible study on Tuesday, May 24th at 7 o'clock here at the church. So we will have light refreshments, fellowship, and then I'm going to be ministering the word that night. And it's always just a good time to get together. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So uh, we want to give you an opportunity to give this morning. Uh, if there's not an envelope around you in the seat for some reason, you can just lift your hand and the ushers will serve you. You can always also see how you can give electronically on the screen above us. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He is El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. And his word doesn't change with the centuries. His word doesn't change with the economy. His word to us is always the same. And he promises that he will be El Shaddai to us. Uh, Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse and prove me. Now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So we just have to speak his word and, and uh, declare it and prove him to be true. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, let's pray. I'm going to have you say this after me. Thank you, Father. You are El Shaddai. The God who is more than enough. I am a tither. I'm a giver. Therefore, I declare the windows of heaven are open unto me, unto my family, 
unto my business and you pour me out a blessing that there is not room enough to receive it, I declare it, I de believe it, I believe that you bless me so that I can be a greater blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Again this morning.
you we magnify you we thank you for all that you've done for us we thank you father most of all for your son who bear our sins who bear our sickness thank you father For the wonderful word of God. Hallelujah. Bless you, Father. Bless your holy name. Amen. Say it with me. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And he called the night day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Folks, there are some things that we want to look at this morning about God's eternal power, or the eternal power of his word. In verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's an interesting thing to consider. There are different words that God uses or that the Bible uses concerning God's creation. One of the words that are used is uh, the word katarzio in the Greek. And the word means to adjust or repair. The Bible says that the earth was without form or void, but there's a verse of scripture in Isaiah 45, verse 18, I believe it is, that said God did not create the earth without form and void. Well, if he didn't create the earth without form and void, then how did it become without, for, uh, without ver form and void? And the earth was without form and void, Verse 2, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. This word was can also be translated become, become or became. And apparently that would be a better translation here in this passage. Because if God didn't create the world without form and void, according to Isaiah 45, uh, 18, then how did it become without form and void? Something had to take place to change this, the status or to change the condition of the earth. And God created 
the heavens and the earth. This word heavens must mean just the sky and the atmosphere because the things that happen on earth don't affect the things that are, are, are taking place in heaven. We know that the Bible tells us that if we exercise authority, the authority that was given to us in the beginning, it will create or cause God's original plan and purpose to be carried out. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What beginning is he talking about? Is he talking about his beginning? Is he talking about God somehow became a created being? Well, if that were the case, then it would be somebody greater than God. When the earth became without form and void, the Bible tells us, gives us a little bit of insight into what happened and how things took place. Isaiah 14, verse 12, says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the north, the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. Yet, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And they that see thee narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake kingdoms, that made the world a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof? that opened not the house of his prisoners. Verse 17, it says that he made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof. Obviously, this is talking about the devil. And it's telling us the work that he accomplished in and upon the earth. But he can't be talking about our earth. He can't be talking about the age that we live in. Now notice Satan did have a position of power. Notice the things that he declares when he took sides against God and led a third of the angels with him in rebellion. Verse 13, thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend unto heaven. Well, then that must mean he was underneath or below heaven. If his purpose is to ascend up into heaven, then he couldn't have already been there. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Well, he must have a throne if he's going to exalt it or change it. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And his kingdom, again, is, has to be earth. If he's going to ascend his throne above the stars of God, then that means he has to be below the stars of God, which would be this earthly realm. I will sit also among the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Well, if that's something he's aspiring to do, then it must mean that he was not already in that condition. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. This is an example or a description 
of the sin of Lucifer, who then became Satan, when he took with him a third of the angels and rebelled against God. And the Bible says God cast him out in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, when the disciples of the 70 go out and preach the gospel and find out that the devils are subject to them in the name of Jesus. That was not something that Jesus said would happen. He, didn't, uh, he did not speak of authority over the devil in any way other than healing the sick in the instructions that he gave them in the 10th chapter of Luke. But they find out that devils are subject to un unto them in the name of Jesus. And Jesus explains to them in verse 19 of Luke 10, he said, Behold, I give them to you authority over all the power of the devil, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But Jesus also spoke in verse 17 about Satan cast, being cast out into heaven, cast out of heaven into the earth. He said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning unto the earth. Satan was cast down as a result of his rebellion against God. Now in Exodus chapter 28, we get further insight into the work of the devil. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou seest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, in the garden of God. Well, this tells us he had to be talking about the devil and not just the physical king of Tyrus. Thou hast been in the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the heart, the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, and the beryl, and the onyx, and the jasper, and the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and the gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipe was prepared in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned. Therefore, here's God saying what he will do unto Satan. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty and thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, and it shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. And they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. So we've got information that the Bible uh, intimates to us 
about the work of Satan in the previous generation of the, of the world, the world of the earth. Back to Genesis chapter 1. Let me show you something else here. Notice when God said in verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now the Bible tells us that God separated the light from the darkness. And he created the days because the, the evening was separated from the day. Now folks, this, this light that he's created is not the sun. That doesn't take place until the, set, the fourth day, several verses down. Let me pull it up and read it real quick. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light, lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. The light that God created was not the sun. The light that he created must have been his presence he allowed his presence to be seen upon the earth in the first six days of creation. Actually, the first day of creation. The Bible talks about a, a darkness that you can feel in relation to what hell is like and the atrocities and, and terrible things that the unsaved will experience and it talks about a tormenting darkness that you can feel in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning it wasn't God's beginning it was the earth's beginning In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now we know later on in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it identifies to us God's purpose for creating man. And God said, let us make man in our own image. In the image and likeness of God, we were created, mankind was created here on the earth. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over all creep, every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created in his own image, the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air 
and over every living thing that but moved upon the earth. Man was created in the image and likeness of God. Now we can get a clue of what that looks like in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds. Jesus was the creator of the earth. By whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. This word upholding means to maintain or to sustain. When God said, let there be light, and there was light, and after this, all the things that he created, this is the shortest summary that we could imagine as far as the creation account is concerned. We know that God made the world, made this earth in such a way that it's mind-boggling and science can't keep up with the truth through discoveries of the intricacy of the world that God made for mankind. We know in part there are a lot of discoveries that, are, that continually are being made, but we know certain things. For example, when God created the, the sun it was after that he created the earth. Things originated from the earth. In, in other words, the earth is the center of the universe. In this respect. Because when God created the sun, for example, it had to be created in such a way that if it was too close to the earth, the earth would burn up. And it wouldn't sustain life. But if it was further away than the way that he created it, then the earth would be cold and wouldn't sustain life in that way either. The intricacies and the details that we know, and we certainly don't know everything, but certain things have been discovered and we know in part. For example, one of the things that's always fascinated me is to find that science is able to weigh molecules. There, it's called the atomic weight. And there are several of these poisonous gases like methane and ammonia that if their atomic weight was just off by one unit I'm not sure how to describe it I'm sure I'm not using proper scientific terms 
But if it was one atom greater, then the gravity of the earth would hold those gases here on the earth instead of releasing them into the sky to dissipate. And that would be the end of mankind and the earth would not be able to, to sustain or provide for life in the way that it does. Now, folks, I, I recognize you. I'm getting some looks this morning. And I have certain ones in the church that seem to be symptoms watchers. Over the last several days, I have some symptoms in my body that have increased. Some days are better than others, but there are noticeable changes in my body and in things that I'm going through and have been that way for the last couple of days. But do you know what it means? that the symptoms are increasing, it means absolutely nothing. The Bible says we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. That doesn't mean we're healed by the stripes of Jesus when symptoms are lesser. One of the things the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, verse 3, it tells us through faith we know that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. There are unseen things that are greater than the things that we see. And the earth was created by those unseen things. Well, what, was the, what were the unseen things? The words that God spoke. God spoke this world into existence. And we know that what science calls the Big Bang Theory, we know that that created the universe and we know that the universe is still expanding. When God said, let there be light and it put creation in motion, he never told it to stop. And so the universe is continually expanding and science tells us, in whatever ways they're able to measure it, science tells us that the further you, the planets or solar systems or different systems are created, the further they get away from the source, the original source, which would be the Earth, the faster they go. So the universe is expanding, ever increasing in a rate that's faster and faster and faster 
the more that the universe or the more that things are created to add to the expansion of the universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created it with words. That's what Paul is talking about in Hebrews 11.3. He framed the world. Through faith, we understand that he framed the world. We live a supernatural existence for all the things that science has discovered and revealed to us. It causes us to recognize the unlimited less unlimited power of God's word. God's word is continuing to do the work that it was originally slated to do. There are certain things that science should give us knowledge of the world system that we live in and are governed by. One of those things is DNA. There are certain things, the illustration that I heard used, I thought was pretty good. So I'm going to tell you what I heard. If the caveman, the Neanderthals, were walking through a field and found a watch, then it would change everything about what they would believe depending on what capacity they had to think and operate in whatever degree of intelligence that they had. The watch itself would be proof of something that was far greater than their capacity to create or to utilize. And everything that they would have thought about this earth, where it came from, where they came from, and so forth, would be blown out of the water. Well, there were some eminent science experts, doctors, learned men, that were caught up in the debate between creationism and evolution. And one of these eminent scientists, when the DNA and RNA helix, I think that's what they call it, the squiggly thing, the ladder that twists, He said that the discovery of DNA and RNA should have had the same impact in, the, in this manner 
He said the argument over the theory of evolution should have stopped with the discovery of DNA. Now, science has discovered and tells us that there are certain animals that share up to 98 or 99% of the DNA of humans. And so the evolutionists use that claim or that fact as a claim that man is still in an evolutionary process and continuing to change. But in fact, it's just the opposite. The differences in, that, in human DNA and the DNA in animals, even though it might be small as a percentage, it lays the groundwork for some of the greatest truths that reveal God and God's word to be true. Apparently, DNA is like computer code. It has a similar working and operation in our existence. And the different lines of DNA contain different information. But the first line of human DNA is different from any other animal on the earth. That first line of DNA has number values and those number values when corresponding with the periodic table of elements when you assign those number values to the element that that value represents, that numeric, va numeric value represents, it sends a message or reveals a message to us. And what that first line of DNA code says when it's applied to the periodic table of elements is a message. It says, or is interpreted to be God eternal within the body. God has stamped on each and every one of us a message of truth that sustains our lives and gives color and personality to each and every one of us. By a simple phrase, God eternal within the body. I want you to go back with me to, to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm sorry, it's Hebrews chapter 1. Let's take apart some of these verses of Scripture. Hebrews 
Verse 1, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophet, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, in whom he, appointed, in whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now notice the description that it gives of Jesus here. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory, the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of power, when he by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now folks, Jesus was made in the image of God, the virgin birth, didn't do away with the way that he was made. He was born into this world as a human being. He had DNA in his body just like you and I have DNA in ours. And that DNA was similar, only differing from the DNA of the rest of the world, rest of mankind, by the fact that he had no experience with sin. And since he was born of a virgin and God was his father, then there was nothing about his physical form or physical makeup that could be a hindrance. But rather he was made in the same image as Adam when God created him in the Garden of Eden. He was the express image of his person. And the brightness of his form the brightness of his glory. That wasn't exclusive to him. It was exclusive just to the, to the measure or the fact. That God created him and he, his body was without sin. But the Bible says that he was the first begotten from the dead. And we come after that. We were begotten from the dead as well. Not physically, but spiritually. First, uh, Second Corinthians 5, 7. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians 5, 17 is what I meant to say says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. One translation says he was a new species of being. When Jesus was born from the, first begotten, born from the dead, after he paid the price for our sins and sickness, he was separated from God in spiritual, in spiritual death so that he could take upon himself and exchange man's unrighteousness for the righteousness of God. When Jesus was born again from the dead, he had prayed prior to going to the cross. In John 17, 17, he prayed 
very specifically that God would restore him after the work was finished on the cross. That God would restore him to the glory that he had before the worlds were made. When Jesus was born again into that glory, the glory that he had with the Father before the earth was made, it tells us and reveals to us that the glory he was operating in here on the earth was not that same glory. He laid aside his heavenly power and he came to the earth exactly as a man But when he was restored to glory, he was restored to the glory that he had before the plan of redemption was completed. When you and I are born into the family of God, we're born into that glory too. I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 1 there are some prayers that the Bible gives to us starting in verse well let's start in verse 15 wherefore I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love to all the saints cease not to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Paul is praying that the church would see and understand certain things. He's not going to pray that God would give us something we don't already have because the plan of redemption is complete. Jesus paid the price and transferred us into the righteousness of God so that we could operate here on this earth in the same way that he did. Now folks, Jesus said very plainly when he was talking to his disciples at the Last Supper, John chapter 14, he said, if you believe in me, then the works that I do shall you do also. And even greater works than these shall you do because I go into my Father. So he's telling us that he's equipped us with the power of God sufficient to take care of any and everything that we need here on the earth. But if the Bible tells us that the, that the church has that kind of power, and that kind of power, I'm sure, goes further than we are able to comprehend because the Bible says just, just the presence of the church here on the earth keeps the Antichrist from being revealed. It doesn't say that the preaching of the church about the Antichrist keeps him from being revealed. It just says by the very fact that God is in us. God eternal within the body. The very fact that we're here and present on the earth stops the devil from doing the greatest 
or the biggest thing that he can and will do. Just the fact that we live here, just the fact that we inhabit the earth stops the devil from his greatest work. Well, if the earth has, if the church has that kind of power here on the earth, then why aren't we using it? Why aren't we doing the same works of Jesus? Now, folks, at any given time, you can find a revival taking place somewhere on the planet. We not, may not be in that revival circumstance or condition in America, in our own country, but there are moves of God that are taking place in other parts of the world constantly. Now, Jesus wouldn't tell us that we have something or tell us that we could have something and leave us without it. It's not like he's dangling something worthwhile in front of us and then when we jump for it, he grabs it back and keeps us from having it. The whole reason and purpose for him revealing to us some of the things that we have through the new birth is so that we could have it and take advantage of it and use it. But with that in mind, notice that Paul is saying that the key to that, the key to finding out what we have, the key to using what we have, the key to doing the works of Jesus and even greater works than he did because he went to the Father, is based on the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. If we don't have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, it doesn't do us a bit of good to see or read in the Bible that he gave us some power, some great power over the devil. These are things that are spiritually understood or spiritually discerned. And so he prays for the spirit of wisdom. He prays for the church, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now I have no doubt whatsoever that these are things that Paul was had revealed to him about how to pray and what to hold up in prayer to God the Father. Now remember I told you regarding Genesis chapter 1, the creation account, that God originally said let there be light, and there was. And that command is still being carried out through the expansion of the universe. In the same way, when we pray God's word, we set forth conditions and power that continue on and on and on. Just like God's word, let there be light, is continuing to affect the universe in a supernatural way. When you and I pray his word, and that's what the prayer of faith is all about. When we pray his word, speak his word, speak his promise, that sets forth power in motion 
that continues throughout eternity. So Paul prays by the direction of the Holy Spirit that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. To what end? That the eyes of our understanding, that word understanding means spirit, that the eyes of our spirits being enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. The spirit of wisdom is designed to reveal to us what is the hope of his calling and what belongs to us through our inheritance as children of God and it reveals to us the power that works in us folks there should not a day go by where any and every Christian would not pray this prayer for themselves He prayed that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be given to us that we may know the hope of his calling, what we are called to do, what God's plan and purpose for our life is. That spirit of wisdom and revelation will and should cause us to realize what belongs to us. as being joint heirs with Christ because we've been born into the family of God. And then thirdly, that spirit of wisdom and revelation should work in us to show us and to reveal to us the power of God that we already have. He's not praying that we would, pray, that we would ask God for more power but rather that we would come to the realization of the power that we have. Now that certainly implies that when we see and understand the power that we have, that power would then be utilized. Now folks, Paul knowing these things by the Holy Spirit, if we operate in this, then we would be just as Jesus is described in Hebrews chapter 11. We would be the express image and likeness of God. We would be the express brightness of his glory. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your spirit being enlightened or opened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. 
Folks, we have everything that we need. We have everything that we will ever need to do the works of Jesus, to help set people free. And to do the works that he told us that we would do. And even greater works, he said, because he went to the Father. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 14, Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. It says, And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's your choice. It's up to you. It's not your default setting. And it's something we're going to have to apply ourselves to if we're going to walk in what God wants us to, or the way that he wants us to walk. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3. We which have believed do enter into rest. That rest he's talking about is a condition that's free from anxiety and worry and fear. It's a condition where we wait patiently for God to watch over his word to perform it. It's a condition that's characterized by our continuous singing spiritual songs and God's word one of the things that you can see through the years previous decades that every move of God every Revival that is known to man, and I'm sure it's the same way in other countries as well, but we certainly see it in our own country too. One of the greatest things that comes out of a genuine move of God are songs that are given by the Holy Ghost. And lyrics that correspond to 
the promises of God in his word. And one of the first things that happens when the work of God, the move of God begins to wane is that those songs stop being sung. A couple of weeks ago, the Lord quickened a song to me. We sang it this morning. I don't know the name of it or the title of it. And folks, not all songs carry the same anointing. There are some songs that don't have any anointing at all. And there are some songs that have a, a, a measure of anointing on them. You know as well as I do that just because a song is written by someone that might be famous, that doesn't add a, a measure of anointing to the song. And the Part of the song that was given to me, it wasn't the whole thing, but a part of the song that was given to me, I assume is the, the chorus to the song. Some of you that know musical stuff would know better than I do. But it's the part of the song that says, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so good. So, so good, I think is the way it seems. With every breath I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. One of the things that people struggle with over the operation of faith is what the Bible says about in Romans chapter 4 about Abraham's faith. It says that Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able also to perform. That means that Abraham was operating as God in calling things that be not as though they are. And in the second characteristic of Abraham's strong faith was that he gave glory to God giving glory to God before he saw the answer one of the ways you can tell if you have entered into rest for whatever you're believing for is the songs that get stuck in your heart and you, that you sing to yourself over and over and over again. It's like the overflow valve of faith. If we really believe in what we're asking God for or what we're believing for, whether it's healing or financial prosperity or any other thing that we 
see in the word that belongs to us, things that are promised to us through the work of Jesus. If you've entered into rest, you're singing songs of thanksgiving and songs of glory. The Bible says in Acts chapter 16 that Paul and Silas were thrown into jail for setting a little girl free from the oppression of the devil. And it tells us Exodus 6, I mean, Acts 16, I think it's verse 25. It said, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Now, what in the world do you imagine they were praying about or, and or singing about? And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Well, if it was me, if I was in jail, being unjustly beaten, my hands and feet being held fast in the stocks and chains that that prison had, if I'm in jail, not for wrongdoing, but because I believe in God, and remember the way that they came to that city of Philippi in the first place. They tried to go in different directions and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them go. And finally, Paul had a vision in the night of somebody from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. Well, it says that they assuredly gathered that that's where the Lord wanted them to go. So they've been led to Philippi in a supernatural, even a spectacular way. So they went to Philippi, the chief city of Macedonia, got put in jail for believing in God and setting the little girl free, the fortune teller free from the power of the devil. If that was me, I'm praying to get out. No point in praying about the last days. No point in praying about the Antichrist. All those things can be attended to later on. First and foremost on my mind is I want to get out of here. And the songs of praise and thanksgiving were in spite of the beatings that they took from the magistrate. It would be a perfect opportunity to complain Complain to God about, Lord, here we are doing what you want us to do, doing what you sent us here in a spectacular manner for us to do. And now look at the way they've treated us. Life's just not fair. But they didn't do that. They understood. Or can we say it this way? They had enough of the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God to know that the devil is trying to stop them. And the Bible says suddenly there was a great earthquake and every prison door opened, every chain fell off of their hands or stocks. 
that were holding them bound. And this earthquake just affected the prison. And this earthquake just affected the doors to the cell where Paul and Silas and the other prisoners were being held. And this other earthquake, this earthquake that took place as a result of their praying and singing praises unto God, was very strategic and specific in that it caused the chains to fall off. Now, folks, you know as well as I do, we live out here in California. We've all experienced earthquakes. But I have never heard of an earthquake in any place or any time that just set innocent people free. Maybe that was a freedom quake. It was certainly directed specifically to answer the prayer of God's servant. Now this earthquake, I think we could agree, was not a natural occurrence. Nobody died in the earthquake. If the earthquake was of God, then it would be impossible for somebody to die as a result of the shaking and the quaking itself. But instead, it was a strategic thing. I imagine it as some angel came down and grabbed hold of the cell doors and shook them. Well, how else would God have operated with an earthquake? I wonder what Paul and Silas would have done or what would have happened if they had just prayed. The very fact that they sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them is an indication that they believed that God had heard what they prayed. It was a sacrifice of thanksgiving. I'm sure they didn't feel like singing and praising God with their backs bleeding. And in the stocks and chains, couldn't have been comfortable for them. But they offered the sacrifice of praise. So let me close with one last scripture. Psalm 107, beginning in verse 17. It says, fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near to the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their mercy, or in their trouble, and he saves them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Folks, there are certain things that God has established his principles, eternal principles. Notice verse 20 again. 
He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Healing is through the word of God. Healing is not through prayer. Now the Bible says the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. But the prayer of faith is always praying God's word or God's promise or seeking the result that his word has promised. So the prayer of faith, really when you get down to it, is really just a, a prayer of agreement based on what God's word says. In James chapter 5, the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. That word prayer really means a declaration. It doesn't mean a request. It doesn't mean that people are healed by asking God to heal them. It means people are healed by declaring that the word of God concerning healing is theirs. He sent his word and healed them. Of all the times that I've had people come and over the last I think we're running on about 10 years since we started healing school on Sunday night. Of all the people that have come in from the outside trying to get their healing, it is a very rare occurrence when anyone comes standing on the word. When people come after a healing school service, for example, and they ask me to pray for them, I ask them what for meaning what condition do they have that they want to be healed of. And then I'll ask them, the second thing I'll ask is what scriptures are you standing on? Most people don't have one. Most people don't understand that healing is by the word of God. They just simply want me to pray, I guess because I'm a pastor that teaches on healing. And they're looking for my prayer, for my faith, to get the job done for them. So really, and I know people aren't conscious of this, and I don't mean it as criticism, just a fact or an observation. Really, they're trying to get God to operate in some way other than what he said that he will. Pastor Mike, pray for me. Okay, what are we praying about? And what scripture are we standing on to pray? There are times when God in his mercy will simply enable someone to take hold of a blessing of healing or some other such. But for the most part, the vast majority of the cases it's an operation of the word of God that we're commanded to put in effect to bring about God's healing results he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction when God said in Exodus chapter 15 
if you will walk in my statutes and keep my commandments. I will take sickness from the midst of thee, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Just like the command of God, let there be light, is continuing to produce results through the expansion of the universe. God's word concerning himself being the God that heals us through the keeping of his word. Those words are, are still going throughout the earth to bring, about, to bring about healing results just as in creation. Let's all stand. Father, we bless you. We magnify your holy name. You are the God that heals us. You sent your word to heal us. And Jesus was the word made flesh. So Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And with his stripes we are healed. Father, we thank you for, um, for your mercy. You redeem our life from destruction and crown us with loving kindness and tender mercy. Lord, we declare that because we set our love upon you, you deliver us. Because we've known your name, you set us on high. When we call upon you, you answer us. You deliver us and you honor us. With long life, you satisfy us and show us your salvation. Lord, we attend to your words. We incline our ear to your sayings. We let them not depart from our eyes. We keep them in the midst of our hearts. For your words are life and medicine to those who find it. And your words are medicine to our love flesh. Father, we thank you for the eternal power of your word that it sets us free. And the eternal power of your word sustains or upholds us just as it upholds the universe. Thank you, Father, 
that you are God eternal within the body. Say it with me. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. No matter what it looks like. No matter how I feel. I say that God's word is working mightily in my body. Affecting a deliverance and a cure from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Bless you, Father. Bless your holy name. Blessed be the name of Jesus, our healer, our savior. our soon-coming King. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Thank you, Father, for, be, for being so good to us. Blessed be your name. Bless you, Father. 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 Well, say it with me. The Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. Amen. God bless you, Father.